Jesus walks on water. Jesus walks on water. Are you in a storm right now? As Pastor Jeremy preached from last week at a First Peter, Christians should expect to be in suffering, some type of a storm. This is what Christians should expect. Jesus said, they'll hate you on account of me. Jesus said, pick up your cross daily and follow me. So perhaps you're in a storm right now. And it isn't because you made a wrong decision or you're in sin, but you're being rather obedient to the Lord. You're submitting to his word. You're, you're moving with the deep convictions that he's put in your life. Yet, you are in a storm. Why is this happening? And as, as we turn our eyes to Jesus today out of Mark chapter 6, I'm hoping that focus on the Lord becomes even clearer today. Because this is exactly what the disciples were going through in Mark chapter 6, verse 45 to 56. The disciples were being obedient to the Lord, getting into the boat. And all of a sudden, the storms of the Sea of Galilee rise up against them. And all their plans go out the window at that point. So let's turn to Mark chapter 6. Uh, I'll be going, reading from verse 44. I'll just back up one verse to give us a little bit of context, extra context. And if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open up to Mark chapter 6, second book of the New Testament. Mark chapter 6, verse 44. And you're turning there a little bit of context. That Jesus and the disciples just got done feeding the 5,000. And we discovered a couple weeks ago, it was probably close to 20,000 people, men, women, and children who were fed. And this was perhaps the greatest uh, miracle that took place on a broad scope where thousands of people experienced the same miracle at one time. And now the Lord commands the disciples to get into the boat and all of a sudden the storms of life hit their lives. So let's rise as we read Mark chapter 6. And the reason why we do this, church, just to remind ourselves to honor God and his word. What a treasure that we have God's word in our hands. And this is why we read standing up in this as a corporate church. Okay, so Mark chapter 6, uh, verse 44, down to 56. And there were 5,000 men who ate the loaves. And immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he himself was sending the crowd away. And after bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. And when it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. And seeing them straining at their oars, for the wind was against them, at about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and he was intending to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought that it was a ghost and cried out. For they, were all, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke with them and said to them, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped, and they were utterly amazed. For they had not gained any insight about the loaves, but their heart was hardened. And when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to carry here and there on their mats those who were sick 
to the place they heard he was. And wherever he was entering villages or cities or countryside, they were laying the sick in the marketplaces and pleading with him that they might just touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were being saved from their sicknesses. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your holy and precious word. I pray, Father, that you give us ears to hear, eyes to see this morning. Help us to turn our eyes to Jesus, Lord. Make us turn our eyes to Jesus this morning. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. Now, this portion of Mark is just pregnant. Okay, I like to use that word, pregnant, with a lot of helpful insights. I mean, there are so many encouragements in here. I was lost in my own world of encouragement out of Mark 6, but I was, as I was praying and thinking about this, what can the church absorb in 40 minutes' time here, roughly? As my mind was drawn to what is the Lord Jesus trying to impress upon the 12 disciples? And as I thought and prayed and studied through this, we distilled the sermon to just two points. So we want to go deeper into two points. In essence, the Lord's main focus for the 12 was this, that they knew exactly who he is. Who is Jesus Christ? And if you get nothing else out of this sermon, I'm going to tell you the punchline right now. Jesus is God himself. And this is what the disciples needed to know as they would have to carry on the mission for Jesus Christ after he dies and resurrects and ascends back into heaven. Who is Jesus? Jesus is God. And as it was read earlier by Brother James, thank you. Uh, keep your finger in Exodus, all right, Exodus 33 and Exodus 3. I'm going to try to do a good job of explaining some of what the Lord was intentionally doing to teach his disciples that he is God. Okay? Lend me your mind's eye now. Let's enter into Mark 6. Imagine with me what is happening here. Verse 44 said they just got done feeding the 5,000, 20,000 up on the mountaintop. Now the disciples are ordered, it says in verse 45. And, he, and immediately Jesus made his disciples to get into the boat and go ahead of them to the other side to Bethsaida. The 12 must have been thinking, this is amazing. Thousands of people are being fed this way and we got to be part of this? Wow. And did you see what they wanted to do with Jesus? John 6, 15 says they wanted to make Jesus king and force him to be king. Jesus is going to be the king. And Jesus is going to get rid of the Romans. He's going to make everything good again. And we get to be there with him. What an opportunity. This is what I'm talking about. This is exactly why I signed up to be a disciple. This is exactly what I wanted. This beats the fishing business. We get to help rule with Jesus Christ. Therefore, Jesus made them get into the boat. He made them. The, he, the, the word could mean compelled. He ordered the 12 to get into the boat, which could imply that the disciples didn't want to go into the boat. But Jesus made them, and they were obedient to their credit. They were obedient. They came alongside uh, what the Lord came under, what the Lord commanded, and they got into the boat. In verse 46, it says, Jesus went up to the mountain to pray. Pray, and we'll, we'll cover a little bit more. What was Jesus' prayer life like? But he went up to the mountain to pray. And this is in verse 47, when it became evening time, the boat was way off. 
the way, what was in the middle of the sea. John 6 is that there are 25 to 30 stadia away. That's approximately three miles offshore. Right, they're way out there. So if Jesus is up on a mountain, let's give that about a mile. Four miles away, Jesus sees them. All right? And it's going to our first point here. Jesus walks on the water to show that he is the incarnate God. Incarnate God. Turn your eyes with verse 48 here. And seeing them, this is, this is omniscience. Only God could see from four miles away what's going on. He knows everything. He sees your life right now. He sees into your heart right now. He sees what you're thinking about right now. Whether you're focusing on the Lord or distracted with something else. The Lord sees and knows everything. And seeing them straining at the oars because the wind was against them. The wind was contrary to the direction that they wanted to go. They're in essence traveling from east to west. But they got a north, north directed wind that was blowing them south. And in essence the disciples are straining at the oars. And what that word means is that they're being tortured. They're being battered by the winds. I mean I could imagine this. That Jesus, at the fourth watch of night, he comes to see them. The fourth watch is either between 3 and 6 a.m. in the morning. So let's just say the disciples left at 6 o'clock in the, in the afternoon or early evening. That would make it at least 9 hours, if not 12 hours of being on the lake. That's a long time. Can you imagine this? You're one of the 12 straining at the oars. I mean, every muscle fiber fiber is burning out in you. Your hands are bleeding and blistered at this point. I don't care how seasoned of a fisherman you are. With this type of event lasting for 10 hours, these disciples are worn out. Why did he send us out here? Why did he just allow us just to enjoy what just took place? Where is the Lord? I mean, things like that could have been popping through the 12's mind. Have you been there before? Where you feel like you've been obedient to the Lord and all of a sudden there's a long wilderness period where you're just going around in circles. You're not even going east to west. You're just in in a standstill getting deeper into the water and just going around in circles. Have you been there before? Lord, I'm going to give up some finances. I'm going to give up my certain certain parts of my ambition and my career. I'm going to be faithful to this relationship. Surely you'll bless my decision. Well, you're just going around in circles. Imagine how the 12 felt right there. They're going through this right in this moment. Perhaps you're in this moment as well. As you're sitting here, hopefully, Pastor, just give me something to encourage me this morning. Well, verse 48, our eyes should be drawn right back to the text because you want to hear from the Lord. At about the fourth watch, 3 to 6 a.m. of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. A miracle, another miracle. He comes, incarnates with them. He, 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 he shows his presence with them in that moment. They thought that, and it says he was intending to pass by them. The Lord, the Lord is gracious. I mean, God himself took on human flesh. Incarnated means to take on flesh. But here he also incarnates with the disciples. He shows up again. 
to let them know that they're not alone. But what was interesting here, there's a peculiar phrase at the end of verse 48. He was intending to pass by them. I mean, if you just read that thinking, okay, he was just about to bypass them and go, okay, I'll see you on the other side, right? I mean, as I studied this more, there's some treasures that were unearthed. And this is where I want to do a good job of explaining to you through the Holy Scriptures what Jesus was intentionally doing. Okay, this is important that we follow along. So a better translation might have been, he was intending to pass beside them, come alongside them, pass beside them. All right, not necessarily just to bypass them. And Mark is the only gospel where the author, Mark himself, makes a special nuance. So whenever there's a special nuance in, in, in the similar portions, you really want to dig down deep. Why did Mark put this here? All right? In the Old Testament, as was read earlier in Exodus 33, God visits his people in a unique way at times. They are called theophanies, where God manifests his invisible presence to people like Moses, Elijah, and others. And this is oftentimes to reassure his people, particularly when they're going through a moment of discouragement. So if you have your finger still there, let's, you know, if you don't, turn to Exodus 33. Exodus 33, Pastor Mocker did a great job of giving some context here from the heights of Mount Sinai, seeing God face to face as a friend would see a friend. Moses was literally spending 40 days with God on the mountaintop. And he goes down, as Pastor Marco described, to come to a wild party, a wild scene, an orgy going on as they're worshiping the golden calf. He goes from the heights of holiness to the gutter of unholiness and immorality. And if you're a leader, nothing can be more discouraging for you if you see this and to experience what it should be like and all of a sudden, this is what this is about. And Moses is ready to quit. He's ready to tap out. He goes, I ain't going. We're not doing this anymore if you're not going to come along with us. Because I know how holy you are, God. And I know what, you're going to, what you do to unholiness. And so Moses in Exodus 33, 18 says this. I pray, show me your glory. Show me your glory, God. In other words, I need reassurance. Let us know that you're still with us that you're still with me on this mission that you called us to be a part of. So Exodus 33, 19, second book of the Bible, it says this, and he, that's God, said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you. Pass before you. And I will proclaim the name of Yahweh before you, and I will be gracious to whom I'm gracious, and I will show compassion whom I will show compassion. I will allow my, all my goodness to pass before you. Exodus 34, verse 5, Yahweh descends. And then verse 6, it says, Then Yahweh passed by in front of him and called out, Yahweh, Yahweh God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression and sin. This is the type of God that we serve. 
In, in essence, Moses was being brought down to his knees later on here in verse 34, chapter 34. And he begins to worship, thank God you're here. And not only that, you're showing how gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and how much your loving kindness abounds. I needed that. I mean, can you imagine? Have you been in those moments? Perhaps even in the moment of, of, of being disobedient to the Lord when you need to hear that message. But Moses wasn't disobedient, but the people were completely disobedient. God chose, I'm still with you. He, he, he says, I'll allow my, all my goodness pass by you. And as we go back to Mark 6 here, this is exactly what he's doing intentionally to remind the 12 that he's God. And not only he's God, he's the incarnating God who's with them. Verse 48, and he was intending to pass by them. See, that's exactly what the 12 needed at that moment. From the mountaintops of feeding the 5,000 to 20,000 to the lows of being right in the middle of the lake going nowhere and wondering what in the world. And the Lord Jesus was saying, I'm still with you. I haven't gone anywhere. I saw you from the very beginning. I was watching you. I've been praying for you during this whole time. Lo, I am with you to the end of the age, the Lord promises. So Jesus is the incarnate God where he came in the flesh, but he's still with the disciples. He's still with us. Obedience can be difficult, right? This is what we're talking about. And, and, and there's, particularly in this day and age, when you're more obedient to the word, you're going to stick out. You're going to stick out. When God prompts you to speak truth in love, you are going to stick out because the things that are promoted today are opposite of what the Bible teaches in large part. And to be obedient to the Lord, young people, this is where I'm going to get old real quick and you're going to be the next generation of leaders. You're entering a time where I can't even relate to in some ways. 20, 30 years from now, will you be ready to take on the leadership of the church someday. The disciples were tasked to pass on the word of Christ, to pass on leadership mantle down and down and down onto us in 2023 now. Will you be ready to take on the mantle of leadership? It's going to require conviction. As I look out, perhaps you have left your old vocation and and you, you're looking for new work. Perhaps you're being obedient to, to counsel and you're working at that marriage as is very difficult. Perhaps that illness hit you all of a sudden. The recovery has been slower than you thought. This is what the Christian life is like. But our good Lord reassures us to this day. You don't have to be the 12 to be reassured. You don't have to be just Moses and Elijah to be reassured. Can you think of people who have come alongside you who are super encouraging? People who come alongside you to help equip you in what you're supposed to do. I mean, I think about my own life. Five, five and a half years have blown by fast. 
And I tell you, there, there are some issues that were unseeable, foreseeable by, on my end. But I mean, there, there are people like Pastor Kenny who was there helping with the transition, helping me, counseling me, encouraging me, admonishing me at times, in, exhorting me, balancing me out in my personality and my strengths. I knew that's from God. I knew as I was going through confusing situations that God was reminding me that I'm with you. Can you think of people like that in your life who in the darkest, hardest moments where you feel ill-equipped to do what you're supposed to do, that people have somehow emerged, where others have dropped into the shadows, where others step up into the light. That's the Lord encouraging you. Can you think of prayer? All of a sudden, you get that timely text early in the morning and say, hey, I'm praying for you, sister. I'm praying for you. Whether they even knew what's going on or not, I'm praying for you. Maybe that timely call or message, hey, I'm praying for you. Can I pray for you? And you find out, wow, people are praying for me. I get a text daily with someone praying for me, praying, telling me exactly what they're praying for me for. That's encouraging. That reassures me. How about certain peace? Has the Spirit of God given you peace in your life right now? Or you shouldn't have peace, but you have just this peace. It's going to be okay. That's the Lord reassuring you, brothers and sisters, that He is with you, that He's incarnating with you by the power, the, the presence of the Spirit of God. God is with us. God is with us. And this is exactly what the Lord was saying. God was giving the 12 images of what he has done for his people from the very beginning. And he's acting just like how he was. The, the, the good thing about it is life circumstances keep changing, right? But who is the anchor of our soul? That's Jesus Christ. Jesus is reminding us that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. Let's get to our second point here. Back to Mark. Jesus walks on the water to show that he is the eternal God, eternal God. Turn with me to verse 49. It says, how did the disciples respond when they saw somebody, saw Jesus walking on the water towards them? As he, Jesus drew near to them to encourage them, to reassure them, what was the response? Was it joy and celebration? Like, yes, I knew you'd be here, Lord. Well, verse 49 says something different. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. It was the opposite. Instead of rejoicing him and embracing him, and come on board, Lord. They thought it was a ghost. Do you see that? What is that? Is that, is that a phantom? Are there spirits coming against us? Are, are, they, pun is, are, are they punishing us for going out in the waters too early? They're terrified. I mean, the Middle Eastern culture was superstitious, and just like Herod thought that John the Baptist rose from the dead to haunt him, I mean, th that type of thinking was prevalent in the Middle Eastern culture of that day. So they're operating off of a lie. 
How many of us operate off of mistruths or lies about God? How many of us have been told things about God which are not true? And this is how you respond. Whenever we operate off of lies, terror fills our hearts because we it's not true. But look what the Lord says. He gives them a quick sermon in one sentence, verse 50 here. This is the one line that he has in this whole uh, portion here. And it says, he said to them, take courage, be confident, be of good cheer. It is I, do not be afraid. This is the, these are the two commandments he gives. Take courage, do not be afraid. And sandwiched in between is the reason why they could take courage and be not afraid. And the reason why is this. It is I. It is I. And in the, the original language of Greek is ego emi. And another way to translate this, brothers and sisters, is it, I am. Take courage, I am. Do not be afraid. I am would have reminded the twelve of Exodus chapter 3. Let's turn to Exodus 3. Same book from Exodus 33. Just go to the left. Exodus 3. This is Moses' first theophany experience with God. This is where God manifests himself in the burning bush. This is where Moses gets his call to lead the people out of Egypt. This is a significant portion of scripture here. This is where God says, I entrust you to lead the people out. The problem is this, Moses didn't trust himself. He knew he was a murderer. He knew that he loved the world. He knew that he was just a shepherd in the wilderness for 40 years, not, no credentials. He, he left all that Egyptian credentials behind long ago. And now God is appointing him to lead the people out in the most significant mission to save his people out of the house of slavery. And then this is where Moses asked him, when the people see me and they ask me, who sent you, what should I say? Well, Exodus three fourteen says this, and God said to Moses, I am who I am. I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Take courage, I am, do not be afraid. Verse 15 of Exodus 3. And God furthermore said to Moses, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial name from generation to generation. I am, in, in, in the Hebrew, is Hayah, Hayah. And this is where there's a direct connection to Yahweh. Whenever we hear the name Yahweh, we should think that this is the God who's uncreated, who always was and will always be, that this is the God who is self-existent, never changing. This is the God who is the eternal God, the, the, the everlasting God. Hayah, Yahweh, I am. And this is exactly what the disciples were, were thought of. Take curse, I am. Do not be afraid. John has several, John, the gospel of John has several I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection of life. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. All right, these are several of I am's declaring that from Jesus' own words that he is God himself. He's Yahweh himself, the eternal God. 
And right here, Mark chapter 6, verse 50, is Mark's own version of that. In the Gospel of Mark, this is Mark's version of Jesus' I am statement, where Jesus is saying, I am Yahweh, the God of your fathers, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And look what happens next. Verse 51, I'm back to Mark, Mark 6. We won't go back to Exodus anymore. You can stay in Mark here with me. Mark 6, 51. Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped. All that chaos stopped. Isn't that emblematic of the Lord? How he got, I mean, just imagine with me this miracle. Jesus walking on the water. It's windy. The waves are up. It's going crazy. How I imagined this, perhaps this is how it turned out, with the Lord not even wet from one molecule of water, just walking, and every step that he takes firms up for him. Every step that he takes, it's calm. And all of a sudden, his presence with the disciples in the boat Everything gets calm. Isn't that emblematic of the Lord, how he acts? Or he's trampling on top of the fear, the source of fear for the 12. But the Lord is just demonstrating in his word, but also in his miracle here, that he's Lord of all, even over the source of your greatest fears. Amazing. He climbed into the boat, and they're at peace. Verse 51, what was their, finally, what was their response? They were Utterly amazed. They're astonished. The twelve are blown away. They're out of their minds like, whoa. And they're in a state of shock because of verse 52 shows us exactly where they were before Jesus shows up and tells them, I am. Verse 52, for they had not gained any insight about the loaves. What are the the loaves talking about? Of course, the feeding of the 5,000, right? It's exactly, Jesus is teaching them, training them, like, oh, okay, you went through the feeding of the 5,000, but you're still missing something. But their heart was hardened. What were they thinking about? What do you think about when you get to be involved in ministries and God allows you to do things? They're same things that we struggle over. They're enamored by the hype of man. They're enamored by, wow, what a following. What, wow, they like us. Wow, we're finally gaining that momentum. So what was Jesus doing for them back in verse 46? Where it says that um, he left for the mountains to pray. What is he praying for? If I look at John 17, if I look at Hebrews 7.25, he was praying for the disciples. He was praying that the Father will allow them to see who he is. Jesus was praying for his 12, preparing a lesson for them on the lake. And now the blinders are being removed from the twelve. And at this moment, there's a significant shift for the 12. I mean, they, they, all their faiths and all of our faiths go up and down, but now there's a distinct northward trajectory of their faith now. At the, after this point through the Gospels, of course, there'll be some, short, uh, some dips, but they're on a different trajectory at this point now. They finally got it. Who are we dealing with? 
They might have been thinking or even saying to each other, He is Yahweh. He is the great I am. And in Matthew 14, 33, it says this, And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are truly God's son. Amazing. Amazing. I mean, I hope I'm doing a decent job of explaining this because as I got lost in this all week long, a lot of other issues that were in my mind just went away. <laughs> this is, Jesus is the God of the Exodus 33. Jesus is God of Exodus 3. And God is the God who comes back as well in Revelation. This is Jesus Christ. If I got a problem, I don't have a problem at that point. Right? Jesus is the eternal God. And then the miracles don't stop here. In John 6, 21, it says that um, immediately after he got into the boat, they're on the land. I mean, hit the hyperdrive and all of a sudden they're at the land, right? After 10 hours of going around the circles, Jesus hits the hyperdrive and all of a sudden they're in, at the land. Another miracle. And then finishing up here in Mark 53 to 56, Amazing ministry, ministry beyond their expectations, and now the disciples get to participate in this. Now the disciples were more ready to handle this level of ministry. And when they had crossed over to a uh, crossover, they came to the land of Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him and ran about the, that whole region and began to carry here and there on their mats those who were sick to the place they heard he was. And wherever he was entering, villages or cities or countryside, they were laying the sick in the marketplaces and pleading with him that they might just touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were being saved from their sickness. The Lord was very intentional. He knew exactly what he was doing to train the 12. He does it the same way today for all of us. And this is the key, church, and I'm hoping that this is an encouraging word because of this. As we apply this knowing of how God deals with his people, do you know Jesus well enough to recognize him when he's moving in your life? Do you know Jesus Christ well enough as he moves in your life, you can actually recognize the invisible hand of God moving in your life? That's encouraging. If you're just in the lake going around like a top for 10 hours, you don't know what's going on. This is random, no rhyme or reason. That's discouraging. See, the more we know the Lord, we're able to connect the dots, what he's doing. And it starts to form a picture in our minds and our hearts like, okay, Yahweh, you're with me and you have a plan in this. The 12 were being to train how the Lord moves in their lives. The, this portion is critically important for, for us to understand this because without this understanding, it's going to be a discouraging life. I just want to make three observations before we end here, if that's okay. Um, number one, these are the three, three observations to consider out of this portion of the, uh, of the storm that's calmed by Jesus as Jesus walks on the water. Number one, Jesus uses trials to draw us to himself, right? He uses trials to draw us to himself. 
this quote by Charles Spurgeon, who is one of the great preachers that I quote often. <laughs> He's perhaps next to Jesus, one of the more quotable guys of all time. But he suffered with depression. He suffered with depression. He, he dealt with that issue. And he says this, I thank God for every storm he has ever brought into my life that leaves me shipwrecked. That leaves me shipwrecked on the rock of Christ. Not good. I thank God for every storm he has ever brought me into my life that leaves me shipwrecked on the rock of Christ. Are we happy when we're shipwrecked and there's nowhere else to turn but Jesus Christ himself. I talk to so many people after the fact, generally. They go, man, during those times of my sickness, when I lost my job, when people turned on me, that was the closest I ever felt to God. <laughs> That's what they tell me. I'm sure you've heard that too. Perhaps you're in a storm right now, and God's grace you to feel that way right now. What an encouragement that is. I pray and hope that this energizes that in you if you're going through it. And if not later, right? Store this away, brothers and sisters, for a rainy day. Number two, another observation to see how the Lord works, moves. He uses spiritual deja vu to teach us. What is that? Spiritual deja vu. Same boat they got into with the same 12 on the same lake, another storm. Do you recognize similar patterns in your own life? As you journal and think about your life, can you recognize certain patterns in your life, how the Lord has been moving? I think it's important for you to recognize that. I think I've gone to a funeral every Saturday for the last maybe six Saturdays almost. And, and funerals are beautiful because you can see a certain pattern that was forming in the life of somebody from, from early on to where they're born to up until their death. Do you recognize certain patterns that the Lord has been using in your life? Well, this is the second time they had got a huge lesson on the, on the Sea of Galilee. I think as older brothers... And sisters, we could see that more easily. We could look back, even as a child, to even certain formative days, uh, forming a career, maybe getting married, to kind of how the Lord met you during difficult times. You're able to trace the providential dots in your life and you see a big picture, right? You see the picture of God's goodness passing by you, right? I think as older people, I think you need to embrace that. It's a blessing to have lived life longer than younger people. It's a wonderful thing. Actually, it's a better thing because you can see God more clearly. Younger people, it's a little bit harder because you're just, right now, you're just figuring it out. You haven't been through the trials that the Lord has, has planned for you. But just know that if you want encouragement, talk to the older brothers. Talk to the older sisters. They'll tell you their story and help you to remind you of God's goodness. So older brothers and sisters, come alongside the younger ones. Think through how you could impart these things, impart these lessons that God has taught you. Think through how you could do that. And younger people, honor your older ones. I remember 
I don't know what, this wasn't part of my sermon, but I'll just share it. I remember visiting coaches that were like in their 90s. And you think, oh, they don't, I, I don't want to bother them. I mean, these are legends. I mean, these are the greatest of all time type people. And, but as I come to bother them, <laughs> knock, 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 can I hang out with you, right? As I bothered them, I realized this about this coach that was in his 90s, who's way past his work. He loved it. He loved it. It energized him because he goes, man, someone wants to learn from me that's going to take what I learned and take it to the next generation. So younger brothers and sisters, this is a way of honoring the older brothers and sisters in the church. Bug them. Bother them. Let them tell you. Let them tell you. I don't want to talk to you, right? Let them tell you that. They're not going to say that. But that's kind of the issue here. Do you recognize a spiritual deja vu that the Lord is using to teach you. And finally, the third encouragement. The wind is stronger than your oars. The wind is stronger than your oars. They're supposed to go to Bethsaida, which is north, but they end up southwest to Gennesaret. They were supposed to go west, or right to left, okay? But they went left and down here because the winds were greater than their oars. Where are the winds of providence pulling and pushing you towards? I mean, you may be thinking right now, okay, do, do I change jobs? Do I, uh, what school do I go to? Uh, what am, how am I supposed to? Do I change teams even, right? <laughs> well, where are you having a slight push? And then where are you being pulled to? Where are the opportunities that are opening up? Where are the people that are speaking into you like, hey, you should think about this. Hey, I could help you out with this. The pushes may come in the form of hardships. We don't want to just go off of a push like I'm running away from something. Oftentimes, the wind has a push and a pull. Train yourselves. Why why am I um, going through all this? Is because I think this is one of the great needs of our church is to be able to discern well. Be able to discern God's invisible hand moving in your life so you can move with confidence. So when the Lord says, be courageous, it's because, not because of you or how smart we are, because I know that God's in this, right? And as we train up more more people, this is the hope that we build up strong and courageous Christians. I mean, being strong and courageous is perhaps the one of the themes of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation hundreds of times. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Be strong. Be courageous. Be alert, stand firm in the faith. Act like men, be courageous, be strong, let all that you be do done in love. I mean, throughout the whole scriptures. This is what a Christian looks like. Christians are strong and courageous, not because we know ourselves, but we know the one that walks on the water. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this uh, time to focus in on your providential soul care for the 12. And we could see that you're giving us soul care through Mark chapter 6. Thank you. Thank you for how purposeful you are in your sovereign sovereignty. Thank you that you are omniscient and you know all things. You saw the disciples offshore miles away. You see us, what's going on in our hearts right now. You know exactly what we're going through. Thank you that you incarnate with us. You are with us. Thank you that you are with us. Help us to recognize your presence in our lives Help us, train us to see you moving in our lives so that we could be more confident. 
not in ourselves, but in you. Help us to trust and love you more. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.